Well, happy Mother's Day. Um, you know, as I was thinking about um, this message and Mother's Day, it's not, you know, I don't have a special Mother's Day message. <laughs> We're going through 1 Corinthians. And so I'm like, how do I, how does this connect, right? Like, um, and not, not in like a fake way, but like honestly, like how, how you know, it, it's interesting, right? In, in Genesis, um, God creates Adam and Eve, right? And when he creates Eve, he says, I'm going to make you a helper fit for you. Um, and I think as we go through, I think as we go through this this morning, it's, it's a really tough passage of scripture, honestly. It's actually, it's actually pretty, uh, pretty tough. And so, um, and the church wasn't responding correctly, uh, to the sin of, uh, some ongoing sin in the church. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what we're on today. Um, which, you're like, oh, that sounds very uplifting and encouraging, right? But as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, um, I don't respond correctly very often. Right? To my kids. Um, and I think God for my wife, Right? Because there's this, there's this balance, um, and I saw it in my parents, right? Like, I, I saw this, like, you know, <laughs> the dad sometimes will pull the hard line, <laughs> and the mom pulls the love side, right? And, and together, the, the point of this, and, and in fact, all of humanity is to reflect God, right? To, to reflect the, the, the whole of who God is. And, and oh, what a sorry bunch we would be if we were just men or just women. Because we would be lopsided. We would only be reflecting half of who God is. And so when I, when I, when I read through this, I go, man, like, and this is a generalization, of course. Maybe the dynamic is a little bit different in your, in your families and with your parents or, or, or whatever, right? But but generally speaking, I think um, moms bring this, this love and truth together in a way that us guys just suck at it. <laughs> I think in general. And I, I, you know, I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm putting this on you and you're like, that's not, <laughs> that's not me or, or whatever the dynamic is. But I think like in general, like I got the truth piece like, <laughs> I can spin that towards my kids just fine. It's the, it's the love piece. It's the, it's the piece that says, uh, I, I love you no matter what. And, and I hope, and I, 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 I pray, and I'm pretty confident my kids know that. But, and I know that of my mom, and I know that of my dad. And, and I think just as we live through life, and whether you're, whether you're currently parenting or you're reflecting back on your parents, that's where us as followers of Christ, as believers in God, we go, we're bringing something that's unique, that's different, that's complementary. And so today we, we, we spend time honoring our mothers because of 
that piece of the pie that, that they bring that we just can't and often we don't. And again, whatever that dynamic looks like, it's an opportunity for us to go, man, this is who our God is. He speaks the truth and love. He has this unconditional love that oftentimes our, our moms reflect oh so well. So, um, so thank you to the moms in here. Thank you to our moms for putting up with us because all of you were sorry, disobedient young kids at one point too. And, uh, and somehow you're still alive. And that was a decision your mom made at some point, right? <laughs> like, uh, so, all right. So I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you guys yet. Uh, um, so like I said, we're, we're, on a, we're on a pretty tough passage of Scripture. And, and, and hopefully as you're, as you're keeping up through the week, right, like, like, we just spent this last week walking through 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and hopefully, whether you did that in a small group or you did that individually or with your family, like, please continue to keep up because, because it's building, right? Paul is writing a letter that's inspired by God that, that it, we're, we're, we're connecting these things, and, and it's going to seem very disjointed if you just kind of pick up on a Sunday. So um, I send those things out. If you're not getting that, please let me know. I'll make sure you get it. Um, but what did we read this last week? Paul goes full sarcasm, um, which is great, right? If you ever want, uh, I don't know if maybe that means that God has a bit of sarcasm. I don't, is, I don't know if that's blasphemy or not. Um, I don't think so, but like I, I think there's, because Paul does. The scripture does. And he basically says, you Corinthians are so confident. You're so arrogant, but you're so successful you're so strong. You're so, you're, you're everything. And, and look at us, us silly followers of Christ that are suffering and serving God. You're right. You've totally figured it out. And that's basically what he says in chapter four. Um, and then in chapter five, he picks up the baseball bat. <laughs> that's, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, but he really does it. And he spends this time going, you guys are looking at things through the lens of the world and not through the lens of the gospel, right? This is the, this is the trend that we're seeing through 1 Corinthians as Paul is explaining this going, no, you gotta look at your situation, you gotta look at your circumstances through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and what he's going to do here in chapter five is he's gonna, he's gonna walk through a particular sin, but he's gonna address sin in general and how we ought to see sin through the lens of the gospel. Okay, so the gospel is good news, right? It's good news because there's bad news before it. That's why it's good news. If, if you don't have a good appreciation for your innate rebellion and sin, you don't need the good news, right? The reality is, is that when we see ourselves for who we really are, when we see our sin and our depravity, when we see the fact that, that we do things that we don't want to do and we don't do the things that we do want to do, and we, we have this constant tension in our lives, if we're really honest with ourselves, we go, how do I escape this problem? How do I solve this situation that's inside of me? That if I lived on a mountain without anybody else, I would still have the problem. It follows me wherever I go. When I go to sleep at night, I still have this problem. 
and there's no solution for it earthly. Enter Jesus. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to look at a lot is that earlier piece. What does this sin look like? How should we see this sin in our own lives? And then how do we respond appropriately? So let me start by praying. Father, we thank you for giving us this time. Thank you for giving us your word, for speaking to us, for loving us, and wanting to communicate with us. Thank you for scripture. We pray that this morning as we dive through this, there is a lot that is difficult. Father, would you give us humble hearts? Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Change the way we see our lives as we look at it through the lens of the gospel. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the verses are going to be on the board. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, and it's going to start quick, so buckle up. Verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? We're going to stop there for a second. And let's, we're, going to, we're going to look at this, okay? So Paul goes, there is this sin that's going on. A man with his stepmother, okay? This is the context of it. And even the pagans, the world doesn't even acknowledge, like, like that's not good. Now, realize that the Corinthians, that, that area was known for its depravity, known for it, known for its sexual immorality. And yet, Paul points to this and goes, they don't even do this. And, and this person in your church is doing it. Realize it's, it's present tense. He is doing this. It is an ongoing thing. We're going to come back to that, so, so deposit that. But notice that, that Paul actually says, it is actually reported. Like, remember, we talked about this. There's a two-way conversation between him and the Corinthian church. He's getting letters. It's actually being reported. Like, he goes, this wasn't even something that was like put to bed or like solved. Like you guys didn't solve this problem. It's being reported to me that this is an ongoing problem in the Corinthian church. And what, what's their response? And this is, this is important. And this is when, when you're reading your Bibles and you go through, this is why I mark these things up and circle things. Look at, the, look at the tense, right? Past, present, future, that matters. Look at the pronouns that are used. Because what does it say in verse 2? And you are arrogant. Who? You. Plural. Second person plural you. We'll do a little grammar lesson. So it's not, it's not that this man who was committing the sin was arrogant, although he was. It's that the church was arrogant. What we're going to see as we dive through this is that the problem was not in this man's sin, although that was a problem. The problem was in how the church saw 
the sin and dealt with the sin. Okay, so this is, this is the bedrock. This is the fact, and we're gonna see this as we walk through this, as Paul continues to address this. And so what he says is, you're not mourning your depravity. You should mourn your depravity. But the fact that there is sin in the church is not a surprise to Paul. I mean, we've, we've walked through it. He knows that there's sin. He knows he deals with sin. He confesses that throughout scripture. The problem is not that there's sin. The problem is how they deal with their sin. Maybe, maybe in your small group, I know ours did, and Dave did a great job of leading us through this, and it, it says, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Paul was a sinner. So was Paul saying, imitate my sin. Do the sins I do. No, he was saying, deal with your sin the same way I deal with my sin. As a church, and now he's, now he's broadening that to go, now talking about the church. Deal with sin in the correct way. We need to deal with sin in the correct way. And so this is where he's going in this. And he goes, listen, you should not be making light of sin. That's not the answer. And see, for some reason, our culture likes that especially our contemporary Christian culture, the good news is that we don't have to tell anybody that they're sinning or we don't have to bring it up to them or we don't have to interfere in somebody's life because their business is with Jesus and their business is with God and we go into this very individualistic mindset of just kind of like, you do your stuff, I'm gonna do my stuff and if I think that you're maybe doing something wrong, I'm, I'm not, I don't really wanna jump into that because it gets messy. And so what Paul is saying here is that's not the problem. The problem is that, is that God is being defamed because of how they're dealing with sin. They're taking license with their freedom, right? So, so realize that, that they, they take these Corinthians, right, out of the world, right, and they go, and, and they become saved. They're following Christ, but they, they're still sinners, right? Like, they're still, they're still trying to figure out what that looks like. There's a whole process of sanctification in our lives, and we all have gone through this, right? All at different ages and all sorts of different things and experiences. So we're all at different places. But we all ought to deal with our sin in the same way. And we should mourn over our depravity. When we recognize it, it should cause us grief. We shouldn't say, oh, my sin's not a big deal. Jesus died for it. Let's rock and roll. And yet that's what we do. Very often, that's very much the climate. And the world looks at that and goes, sounds good. I'm going to do the same stuff. I'm just not going to have that thing in the middle that's called Jesus. Because otherwise it's all the same. And so what, what he does is he's going back and he's going, do you understand how sin operates? And, and we, can, we can go over to Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 15. And he says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. You see, there was this idea, Jesus died for our sins. Past, present, and future. We know this to be true, right? This is what the gospel is. Awesome. Then I can go and live 
I can presume upon God's forbearance and his patience, and I can just go live however I want to live. Instead of mourning over our depravity and seeing our sin through the same lens that, that sent Jesus to die for our sins. You see, we frivolously treat the, our sins, and while, well, on the other hand, God humbles himself and becomes, takes on the form of a servant and suffers and dies for our sin. In fact, in Hebrews, it even talks about the, that we're crucifying the Son of God all over again when we're intentionally sinning. In 1 Peter, Peter cautions against the same thing in verse 16, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. He says, live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You see, the gospel message is consistent. You are going to sin, and you're going to sin again. You're going to sin every day of your life, probably. I think I'll probably make that statement. Maybe there's a couple nice days in there. But you're going to sin every day of your life. The gospel is not that you're going to stop sinning. The gospel is that you're going to mourn your sin in the same way that God mourns over your sin. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he paid for it. He died for it. He reconciled us to God so that we can see our sin in the same way that God sees our sin. We can understand how rebellious we are. All right, then he's, he's going to go on here. In the second part of verse 2, he says, Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So this is Paul's instruction to the church. Instead of boasting and being arrogant and being able to say, we can do whatever we want, Jesus has covered our sins, let's go live our lives however we want with whatever license to, to sin we want, he says, no, 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 this is how you should respond. Okay, now I'm going to stop here for a second. I understand that, that this passage of Scripture has been misapplied and misused, probably hurt many of you in here or people that you know, where, where we, we read this and sinful men and women in the church formal structure of the church, have made decisions and done things that just don't seem in line with our God. So we're going to step through this. And I, I ask that, that wherever you're at right now in this, like, I, I will tell you, I, I have not had that experience. That's not happened for Melissa and I, primarily because we've been in the military and so we move churches every three years. I mean, to be, to be totally honest, like that, that solves a lot of that problem, right? Because just as you start to get to know people or whatever, you either don't know people or you, by the time you start to know them, then you leave, right? And so you don't have that depth of, 
what happens next and, and the difficulties of writing relationships past that three-year mark were foreign to Melissa and I until we got here. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to step through this. And I got, I think, six, maybe? Five. five. Five things that we get out of this next section of Scripture as Paul says, this is how you... So if you're going to mourn depravity, if you're going to mourn your depravity, then this is how you ought to respond to depravity, okay? All right. So he says, fight against it. That's his, that's his ultimate thing. Fight against depravity in the church. Fight against sin. Fight against rebellion. Okay. Don't worry. All the things that you're thinking about right now, I think I'll cover them. Okay? Um, all right. So first, realize his, this whole thing is not just because one person sinned. The, the, the thrust of this is how the church ought to respond to sin. His critique is actually more given towards the church and how the church, like what their responsibility is now that somebody has committed this sin and, and living in sin, okay? So, so realize that it's not that it was just this like one-off sin that this guy committed. It was present tense. It was ongoing. And we read this throughout scripture, right? If you go to 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What, what Paul isn't saying here is that this is going to be a solution to removing sin from your church. That's not his objective. Okay, you guys with me on that? Like, like there, is, there is a level of sin here that he's addressing that is different than that. And if you turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, and I think this is the most convicting passage of Scripture for me. It says, For if we go on deliberate, sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice sins. You see, his concern was that this person was living in sin, was intentionally sinning. And the church was like, it's all good because Jesus died for him. Every morning he wakes up and sins again. It's all right. Jesus died for him. See, there's a discrepancy here. That's cheapening grace. That's saying that, that the grace of God, the unmerited favor that God pours out on us by rescuing us through the, the blood of Jesus Christ was something that like we're entitled to. And now I, I get this, and I can go off and live as if I don't have a reconciled relationship with God. And he goes, that's not the point. We have no ability as followers of Christ to sin deliberately. That's it. That's, that's the end of that. Now we're going to sin unintentionally all the time. And we're going to have temptations and frustrations and battles within us that are never going to go away. Greed, envy, pride. Those things are always going to be there. But I, I don't think any of us walk around going, I feel like being greedy today. I'm using that one as an example because it's a, we all agree on that one. I'm going to go covet something today. 
and yet we do. You see, there's a very stark contrast in Scripture between sinning and sinning intentionally, sinning deliberately. And this is Paul's concern here. He goes, this person is sinning deliberately, and you go, yeah, but Jesus died for him. And he's like, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. And so his instruction to the church is that they need to love this brother well and love him by speaking the truth. That's, that's the end of that. And yet that's not, not palatable in our culture. It's not. It's funny. If you ever travel around to other cultures, there's like diff- different, like the way that their like social dynamics are, are often very interesting. And, and us as Americans will often go into that and like, go, and like immediately start levying judgments on, on how their culture interacts and without picking, without naming it, in, it specifically. Like there's a culture where it's, it's very much like um, if you spend uh, a certain amount of money um, on, on a relative's family, then the expectation, like for whatever occasion, birthday or whatever, then the expectation is that it's like the same amount of money or more, and there's this very much like, and you kind of go, that sounds horribly just gross, and yet that's part of their culture. And part of our culture, whether we admit it or not, is this culture of individualism that says, don't, we, don't, we don't speak the truth in love. We just speak love, and we hope that God speaks truth. And yet what we do then is we happily watch people go and live a life that perhaps is going to lead to eternal destruction. And we go, yeah, but I at least didn't have conflict with them. We go, what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we, are we looking at this relationship? Are we looking at this sin in the same way that God looks at this sin? Do we love them enough? And so this is where he's saying, man, I know it sounds harsh, right? I mean, he's like, and we're going to step through this, and it sounds really bad. And he's like, dude, get rid of this person out of here, right? And he's going to step through these things, and, and we go, man, that just seems really aggressive. And culturally, like, I've, I've never seen this happen. I've never been a part of this. Um, I don't want to ever be a part of it. (laughs) But look at the second part of this. It's public. He says, when you're gathered together, this isn't something that's happening behind secret closed doors. And all of a sudden, there's some break, and there's some, you know, this person, like, don't talk to them anymore. It's not that. It's not that. Okay? So he's very clear that this is when they're assembled together together. This is public. Probably the most helpful part of this is that he says at the very end, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The goal of this is his repentance and reconciliation with God. That's the goal. The goal is not some like objective purity for the church. We can't have sinners in here. There's no sinners allowed in church, right? I'm totally joking here. I got to bring the levity up here as we walk through this because 
Because we, we, we can easily find ourselves going into that place of going, oh, your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin. I'm going to try to point really quickly so I'm not really pointing at anybody, right? Right? Because we are all sinning, and this isn't the point. It's ongoing, habitual, intentional sin that's, that's cheapening grace. That's basically saying that Jesus' sacrifice, he, I'll sacrifice him again and again and again. John Piper uses this explanation that like when you're intentionally sinning, you're the one with the spear, That's how God sees our habitual sin. And they go, so do this because we want to be reconciled with God. We want each other to see our sin. And you guys, open. I'm, dude, go. Like, call me out. I've been called out. I've been called out for my pride. It's a good thing. I need it. I've had some good conversations. It's a, it's a, it's a, the thorn in my flesh. It's, it's the thing that I have, and we all have different things that we struggle with, and, but we need to know that we're struggling with them, and we need to be struggling with them. When the fight stops, Satan is won. Just get that, right? Or we're in heaven, one or the other. And so the goal of this is his repentance, that he would re- recognize the severity and the depth of habitual sin. All right, we're going to read on verse 6. And Paul explains a little bit more into this fourth point. He says, your boasting is not good. Remember, this is the church's boasting. I'm like, we can, this Jesus thing is amazing. We can sin and we're not going to go to hell because he already died for him. And God's going, that's not the gospel. Don't let the pagans hear that. That's not saving. That's not rescuing. And so he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. I'll explain this here in a second. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What Paul does here is, and and the Jews understood this, leaven was seen as like representative of sin, of a sin nature. And so the Jews, every year at Passover, they would recognize God's grace towards them, that he chose to rescue them from Egypt, and they would have a Passover. And what they would do is they would go in and they would get rid of all yeast in their house. And that's what leaven is, yeast. And, and there was this, this, which it sounds weird to us, but it, this is, yeah. So it, unleavened bread, you guys have all heard these terms probably, but, but it was, unleavened bread was bread that was pure because it didn't have leaven, it didn't have yeast. If you remember, Jesus actually critiques the Pharisees for their leaven, right? That, that they've got this, that, the, that they, um, the leaven of the Pharisees spreads throughout. The idea is that this leaven, this yeast, if you put this into batter or dough, which I've never done in my life, but I know my wife has, it, it goes everywhere, right? Like it spreads throughout it and it causes the whole lump of dough to, to rise, right? It makes it rise, right? Um, it's not like part of it rises and part of it doesn't. It spreads. And so this is what Paul's talking about. He's like, your arrogance, your boasting is gonna spread. Your acceptance of habitual sin is gonna make it acceptable to sin. 
you're gonna water down the gospel. This is important to Paul. He's like, you understand, like, right? I mean, here's Paul, three years prior, had planted this church, laid a foundation of Jesus Christ, established what the gospel was, and the power that resides in the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins, and here they are, pouring water in this, just watering it down, going, you know what? Actually, it's not that bad if you, if you keep sinning. It's no. It's not the point. The point is that we're reconciled to God in a way that, that we love the things he loves and we hate the things that he hates, and that includes our own sin. And so what, what Paul draws on here is that at that Passover meal, they would have a Passover lamb, and then at the end of Passover, bring in the yeast. <laughs> and they would start having good tasting bread again, right? If you've, if you've gone, we don't do it here, but if you've gone to other places, they'll have communion bread that'll be unleavened bread, and that's the little like chips, wafers things. It's because there's no leaven in it, and that's why it's like a cracker. And so what, what Paul does is he says, Christ is your Passover lamb. This leaven isn't something you're going to bring back in for the rest of the year and then take out next year to, to celebrate God's grace. The leaven is something that we want to purge from our lives entirely forever. Like we want a new life. We want a new pure life where we are fighting against the leaven, fighting against the sin forever and ever. That's what Paul is explaining here. And so he's like, Christ is the one who is our Passover lamb who allowed that to happen. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the, and there's a lot of debate on the deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. There's a lot of debate on that. I, th I think basically what it means is he's going to recognize his sin. He's going to recognize the depth of his sin, and he's going to come back. That's the goal. That's the objective here. And then he goes on, in verse 9, and this is the fifth point here, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. I'm going to pause there for a second. I think this is why his first letter is not scripture, because he's correcting it. He's like, I said this. You misunderstood what I said, right? He's like, that's not right. And we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. Everything Paul wrote isn't scripture. God determines what is scripture. And God determined that 1 Corinthians is scripture. And so here is Paul going, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not actually what I meant, you guys. Let me clarify this. And so he says, he says, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Okay. There's a very important part of this where he qualifies who he's talking about. And he says, one who calls himself a brother. And this is something where the church has completely lost the bubble on this. Paul could be no more clear here 
that we have no role in judging the world right now, right? The, we expect the world to live in depravity. We expect the world to sin. That is what the world will do because they don't have a reconciled relationship with God, right? Their hearts have not been changed. It makes sense. It is rational that that is what they're going to do. Who are we then to criticize them or critique them or in, in the case of the church, stop them from coming in to hear the good news? And yet that's what we've done. We go, no, 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 no. If you come in through that door, you better already have some semblance of, of goodness, right? You gotta, you gotta make sure you've been cleaned up a little bit. You, you can't come in here with that type of sin. Yes, absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. That's not how this works, and that's not what Paul is saying. Come, hear the gospel. Allow your heart to be changed. Like, this is for everybody. There is no sin that marks you off the list before God changes your heart. God changes all of our hearts. He has changed many of our hearts in this room. He's the one that does it, not us. You're not gonna clean yourself up enough. God is going to change your heart and change your affections. That's what he does. And so we want everybody to come in. So the purpose is not that we create this little pure bubble church of like good people or people who look like they're good. It's not the goal at all. In fact, you could argue that there's a double standard here because those of us who have placed our trust in Christ, God holds more accountable. God says, you know me. I've changed your heart. You know what I've done for you. We have a reconciled relationship. Don't call yourself a follower of Christ and then go on sinning deliberately. He says, that's not gonna work. That's, that's his point here. You see, Paul's concern, again, is how the church sees the sin. Not so much this person's sin. He's telling them to act this way. He's saying, why don't you care about this? Why don't you care that this person in your church is acting this way? Because you should. If you really loved this person, you would speak the truth to them. If you really mourned our your own depravity and the depravity of this world, you would say something, you would do something. If you really wanted the gospel to be spread and that outside the church people would hear the good news of Jesus Christ, you can't water down the bad news. You can't pretend like it's not there. You have to call it for what it is and go, listen, we're all jacked up and we need a savior. And Jesus is our savior. You see, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, I'm gonna read through this last portion here. He says in chapter 6, verse 1, when one of you has a grievance against another. Well, actually, let me, let me lead into this first. So, so what he says here is that he's, he goes, okay, so, so this, is, this is what you should be doing as a church. But you're not doing that. You're not doing that. So he goes, chapter 6, verse 1, he goes, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? 
Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to, tr to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, <laughs> probably has a better like British accent or something. <clears throat> if I could bust out a British accent right now, I would. Ava, you want me to? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertain to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? You see, what they were doing is not only were they dealing with this, they're like, listen, we don't even, we, we just don't even want to touch these things. We'll let the courts, we'll let the, the, the secular, legal stuff make the determinations for us. And then we just don't have to deal with these things. We don't have to have the hard conversations. If it's legal, it's legal. If it's illegal, it's illegal. And Paul's going, they, they, have, they have no ability to make any determination through the lens of the gospel at all. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? A little sarcasm there again. But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why is it a defeat? Because God is being defamed. Because the world sees this dysfunctional and jacked up church. I, 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 gotta, I gotta break here for a second because, and, and I'm, not, I'm not calling any one person out, I'll just say this. Um, everybody's like squirming now. Um, but like, there are a couple things that recently in my life that I have seen and, um, and they're very difficult for me and I'm, I'm trying to navigate like how to, how to deal with them. One of them, is, in fact, Celebration Church. Um, and the critiques. Um, the, the second one is, I think it's on Netflix, it's a, it's a Hillsong documentary thing. And the critiques. Um, and um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And the critiques. And I'm not saying, and trust me, like, please, like, you guys, for me, uniquely, they, a lot of those touch very close to home because it's very um, difficult. Actually, when I was, when I was in um, Saipan just a few months ago, um, I was reading a book written by, um, it was, it's a great book, and I'm reading it, and in my research, I realized that this, this pastor who had planted a church in England had since had just horrible things um, for, for poor leadership and all sorts of things. And so here I am reading, reading his opinion about things that had happened six years earlier. As, as, it's a really good book. And I'm like, I agree with these things. And then I, and then I see what, what our sinful lives and world and, and circumstances create. And it should cause us to mourn. And yet there's so much competition. There's so much competitiveness of like, you know what I mean? Like, like being critical of other people. And I mean, haven't we read this in 1 Corinthians where it's like they were just competitive and there was this like, it was just kind of this one-upping thing. And it, I just, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and I'm concerned that, that we, in the midst of, 
making these determinations, we are becoming fools to the world. And I go, that's why I don't go to church. Look at you guys. You're a mess. He says, why not rather be defrauded? Why not rather suffer wrong? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. See, so, so he's, he's like, don't, don't, just look at this through God's eyes, through the gospel. He's like, be defrauded, be wronged, serve more, be beaten and suffer. Like, and that's why Paul says, imitate me. Like, go through this because what's the point? That more people would see Jesus for who he is and be rescued from their lives of sin and rebellion and be reconciled to God and dwell with him eternally. That's what we're here for. And, he, and then he, he double downs on this and he's like, it's so backwards because you think you're, you're taking this thing out to the secular world. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's like, they're not even gonna be in the kingdom of God. And you're going to them now to make determinations about your church. So he doesn't make any sense. And then he lists this off. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He's like, they're not gonna be in heaven, and so why are you going to them to make determinations within the church, within this body of believers? You guys do it. Use the gospel and apply it in your lives and mourn depravity, fight against it. Just make gospel judgments. Make judgments. It's okay. But they need to be gospel-based. And then he closes with, just the most beautiful words that we can all hear in case we start to go down this place of self-righteousness, this place of purity and like, yeah, you guys aren't good enough. We're good. You're not. He says, and such were some of you. That, that list that we just read, he goes, and some of you were doing all of those things, weren't you? All of those habitual sins, you were doing those. And guess what happened? God changed your heart. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's the point. That's why it matters how we deal with sin. That's why it's important for us to be, uh, to be wise, to know the gospel, to speak the truth in love, and this is what Paul points to. He's like, this is why it's good news. Because some of you were trapped in that same slavery. And the gospel rescues. The gospel rescues. So don't water it down. Don't pretend, don't treat sin trivially for those who call each other brothers. And, and I'll be the first one. Like, man, uh, we ought to be able to say, please, please tell me. Tell me. Tell each other. If you have that relationship, okay, 
That's important. It's a whole other sermon, okay? This isn't going around to people that you don't know, saying you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't, you should do this, right? Like there's, there's a relationship there that's, that's fundamentally important. But this, this is what Paul says. He's like, don't treat sin lightly. Look at it through the lens of the gospel. Let me pray.